National Fire Radio. National Fire Radio presents. I wish my head could forget what my eyes have seen. Ten years ago, the groundbreaking firefighting movie Burned took audiences closer than they'd ever been. Into the fires and into the lives of the men who fight them. Ten years in the making, the long-awaited follow-up is finally here. The workload has increased and manpower has decreased. Burn X explores stories and characters you've never seen before and continues the journey for many of the Detroit firefighters you met in the first film. Fire Class 2019. Yes, Order your two-disc ultimate edition of Burn X on DVD and Blu-ray at burnstore.com or get it for streaming and download on iTunes, Apple TV, Amazon, Google Play, and Voodoo. What is a man's worth that doesn't make the world a better place? Taylor's Tins, one of the best there is. A good friend of ours and supporter of National Fire Radio. He comes up first in a lineup of sponsors because he means that much to me. Taylor's been with us from day one. I hit him up on day one and said, brother, I love your shield. I love what it represents. I'd like to give them out to all of our podcast guests. And from day one, almost five years ago, we've been issuing Taylor's Tins to all of our guests as a keepsake and recognition for their willingness to share some time and their story with us in our community at National Fire Radio. These aluminum helmet fronts, they change the market. They're revolutionary in what they do. Even if you're a traditionalist with the leather shield, the aluminum shield offers so much when it comes to durability, cleanliness, decon, they can do it all with the aluminum shield. Their customer service, let's talk about that for a minute, where things usually take several weeks now to get your hands on them from the from conception to manufacturing process and out the door and onto your helmet. Taylor can turn around orders within 48 hours, whether it's a 500-piece shield order for your department or a one-off customized shield. Taylor's doing them, and he's doing them within 48 hours, and they're getting out the door. It's not just helmet shields. Nope, there's more. They got locker tags, carbon monoxide meter, you know, data sheets. They have pump data sheets, pump tags, locker tags, street signs, banquet gifts. You name it, the list goes on and on. Check them out at taylorstins.com. That's where they conduct business. You can hit them up on the chat right there. They walk you through the process of designing your custom Taylor's Tin from the website. So go to taylorstins.com, check them out. They represent the very best of what the American Fire Service is all about, and I'm proud to have them as a sponsor of the National Fire Radio platform. And in the words of Taylor and his crew, stop burning up leather. Hey, everybody, Jeremy, National Fire Radio, back at it on the podcast today. Tom Putnam, this is an interesting guest. We've gotten to know each other over the last few weeks. Tom co-produced and directed Burn, which was released in 2012, which was a documentary about the Detroit Fire Department and their trials and tribulations of serving the community that they love. And now 10 years later, 2022, releasing this December 6th, Burn X. 10 years later, Tom, thank you for joining me on the show today. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's awesome, man. I um I was excited when I saw the trailer pop up and the opportunity that this movie was coming out again. I remember the release 10 years ago and it was quite impactful for so many because it's so hard for filmmakers and if you're not a firefighter to actually document what the job truly is. I think that all these TV shows, sitcoms, uh dramas that are on TV just can't and will not ever be able to paint the real picture, but what you guys have put together, DetroitFireFilm.org, you guys putting together Burn and Burn X, what an incredible documentary to brothers and sisters in Detroit who love their community. Oh, thanks, man. It's uh, it's crazy. I mean, we started this whole process <laughs> in 2009, and the only experience I had with the fire service was that when I was a kid, our house burned down. And, wow. Um, okay. So, you know, now it's, what is it, uh, 13 years later, it's, you know, I can walk into a firehouse and kind of almost hold, hold my own in terms of conversations. Um, yeah. When so you, let really me ask a big learning curve. Let me ask you, I mean, going through such a tragedy early on in your childhood, right? Like did that, did you always have some type of fixation or something to do with the fire service since your childhood then, or did this come um, back around later on in life? Uh, yeah, but maybe not in the way you might think. So I grew up in a, rural area in Oregon, um, outside of Portland. And when I was in 
kindergarten. So what was that? Four or five years old. Right. It was the middle of the night. My parents ran in. The house is on fire. Oh my goodness. And um, climb had to climb out the windows. And I lived in a like I said, I lived in a rural area. Sure. And it took the fire department an hour to get there. Oh my god. So so my most vivid memory is, you know, watching all the neighbors trying to. Uh, yeah help my parents pull stuff out sure. and grew up on two acres. So yeah. all the gas for the riding mower exploded and blew up the garage. And I, you know, I knew from a really early age that you can't always count on your fire services being paid for by your tax base. And I think most people think they make a call and in 30 seconds, there's, you know, three fire trucks there or an ambulance or whatever they need. But I knew that if people don't leverage taxes and don't make sure that that service is there. It can take an hour for the fire department. Yeah. Especially in rural America. I mean, you know, this is truly neighbors helping neighbors, small volunteer fire departments that, uh, you know, might cover a 45 square mile area. And, uh, you know, this is the case with us. Sure. And this the far end of one firehouse's district. Like we were a hundred yards from the end of their district. So, you know, it took a long time and there were no fire, uh, hydrants in the right. neighborhood either. Right. Yeah. So, um, I knew that from an early age. So that's something that obviously when that happens when you're a little kid, that, that was kind of the biggest thing that had happened to me, you know, sure. for a lot of years. Sure. And I make documentary films. Now I went to college, I have a degree in journalism and film. And I had just randomly in 2009 read a news story about a Detroit firefighter named Walt Harris, who the first film's dedicated to at the end, who died in the collapse of an abandoned building. Really right. tragic, really tragic story. His transponder didn't work. They didn't know he was in the still in the building until after they were they had pulled everybody else out, married to his high school sweetheart. I, want, I think it's six or eight kids. And the picture it painted of the Detroit Fire Department was shocking to me in terms of the fire load and the lack of resources they had, but it also sounded a little bit familiar because I knew from how I grew up that, sure. you know, the, there wasn't, there's not a fire department on every block. And so I called a friend of mine, Brenna Sanchez, who's a fellow documentary filmmaker, who's from the city, from Detroit. And she read the article and called me a couple hours later from a Detroit firehouse. And she had gone, she went out on a couple calls with them as soon as she got there and they were just, the bell was ringing constantly yeah we realized there's an incredible story here couldn't believe that nobody was reporting it so cobbled a little money together took a film crew out there for i think it was five days back in 2009 and really the question was hey are there enough fires to tell a compelling story (laughs) and and, yeah i didn't know Um, how would you i never even been to detroit right 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 how would you this is no joke I didn't even get my bags unpacked in the hotel when I looked outside and there was a fuel oil factory on fire and oh my like gosh. ran out and didn't stop filming. I think we went in two 24 hour shifts with engine 50, who's became the, the centerpiece of both movies. We went to 20 structure fires and, um, it was, I've never seen anything like it. And, um, wow. And from there, just uh, well, let me let me paint you a picture from the fire service point of view too. Most fire departments and firefighters don't go to twenty fires in two twenty-four hour shifts. I can assure you of that. Detroit, oh, I've talked. Yeah, yeah, I've talked to like yeah, of course, career firefighters yep. that haven't been to twenty structure fires yet in their careers. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and yeah, twenty in, in two thousand nine, right? I mean, that was so. That was the time frame. And I'm thinking. I mean, you're talking thirteen years ago. And times were yeah. a little bit different. You got the 08, 09 bubble that happened there with the, you know, the economy corrected itself, right? Detroit's always been a tough town. And uh, the amount of vacant fires they go to, and that department historically has been underfunded, understaffed. And it really was a, and, and not only that, but just the arson problem alone has just really created I think, uh, you know, the perfect storm, if you will, for fire activity. Absolutely. And um, I think Detroit's pretty well known in the fire service. 100%. But 
but you get outside of that to civilians. And I certainly saw this releasing the first film and traveling around the country with it. People had no idea. Nope. And there was an interesting thing that started happening. Okay. So we did, uh, did the first film. Yeah. We, we, we took what we shot that first week. Thought, oh my gosh, this is, how are we going to, how are we going to film a whole movie about this? I mean, we'd have to be there <laughs> for a year. Fil- yeah, but you filmed the movie in two days, man. 25 hours in two days. Okay. Uh, you, would th- you would think so, yeah, but I'm not, I got I'm not, a, I'm not a smart person. So I, I need That's to go a, back. And, yeah. um, but there's so much more to it than just going to fires, which is what you capture. But go ahead, keep going. Yeah. And that was the other challenge. Sure. There were so many interesting people and, yes. you know, amazingly a lot of the main characters in the film were people we met the very first day we were at engine 50 who they didn't even know we were coming we just showed up the city told us like go to this firehouse and Is it that turned right? out to be the busiest one in the city at the time wow um and uh so we cut together a little like eight ten minute uh like promo and just put it online hey is anybody interested in this did a little donate now button at the end and the next thing we knew um I mean, people just started donating yeah. money and people and something we knew at the time, but we didn't quite realize how big it was going to be was we also on that first shoot became the first people to send cameras into fires with firefighters. Right. And I think that really captured the job and not just the action, but the danger in a way nobody had done in a realistic way before. Agreed. And all of a sudden that first little promo was next thing I know we were getting calls from the Atlantic and the sun in the UK and it was getting millions of views and people got really excited about it in the beginning within the fire service. And we realized, Oh wow, nobody's ever made it like a feature documentary like this before. Right. And there was a real hunger for that, for people in the fire service to let people know what they do and as you know, um, firefighters love to talk, but they love to talk to each other. They don't talk to people outside of that circle. So, it, one of I think the yeah go the ahead. big challenge, one of the, the big challenges for us was to spend the time with these guys and get to know them. So they got comfortable with us. They really became collaborators on the project. I mean, when you see cameras in these fires, that's not me. That's that's, that's right. Detroit firefighters, and, right? They're, they're such type A guys. We got to the point where we'd get back from a fire and they'd be like, Hey, we want to see dailies plug in the plug in the camera so we can see, Oh, I should have held the shot longer. <laughs> I mean, I would get footage back where literally these guys would be in a fire and they'd be like, hang on a second. Don't, you know, don't, don't, don't put the nozzle on it. Tom needs the Tom told us the shots need to be at least 10 seconds. And I'd be like, guys, don't do that. Oh my gosh. Um, wow. So it really was like a, massive group effort you know yeah, sometimes i felt sure. more like a like a ringmaster than a, a director especially because if you've ever been to detroit and seen those guys work i mean it's it's awesome it is like you can watch them pull out a structure fire in three minutes you so, know and they do an aggressive interior attack too which is pretty amazing yeah let me let me ask you this your first impression right i mean you so you line up with the city of detroit hey we'd like to do this now at that time they're probably like sure whatever you need you guys end up walking into a firehouse where they didn't know you were coming. Is that correct? Well, just to even, yeah, but to even back up. Yeah, go ahead. Detroit was, the city of Detroit was opposite. I mean, that's a place that's had so much bad press. Okay. And the fire department was such a magnet for bad press. They were just like, no, absolutely not. Oh, okay. Okay. (laughs) Are you crazy? We're not letting you do that. Um, So that was like a whole thing to convince them okay. to let us do, to let us in sure to do that but then yeah they just take the firehouse put us in it and i can't say the guys were very excited to have us there well that's where i was headed up. right so the first day you walk in with cameras and you're like hey guys now you have do you have anyone with you that had exposure to the fire service that could kind of break the ice because like I do this right so I travel around the country with different companies and and different manufacturers that want to get out and see their product in the wild if you will but there's a certain hierarchy in firehouses and there's a certain way of gaining trust and having conversation as you open that door and walk in 
so that they become a little more comfortable and let some of their guard down because we are very guarded and protective of what we have behind those garage doors, right? The sanctity of the American fire service, right? And what goes on there from the, from strictly business to the shenanigans, right? And over time you were allowed to be a part of that community, but that first day when you walked through that door, there was no way in hell they were interested in having you there. No, I mean, they were just sitting down. You know, <laughs> it was shift change. So the guys were having breakfast. Right. And, ah, and good all of timing. A I, yeah. Also, it's like I show up with my, like, whatever. I don't remember what I was wearing a t shirt with a panda on it or something. And, oh my gosh. like, yeah. six people with cameras. And they were just like, what's happening here? And um, I have to say, I got to give the only reason any of this exists is because of those guys once once they like got over their initial shock and we had a chance to explain what we were doing and that yes we were supposed to be there yeah they said okay guys sit tight and the whole crew went in another room they had a group meeting like do we want to let them film and like they didn't know us from adam and they said yes and had they said no we would have gone home and nothing would have ever happened and i mean like there was one guy on that crew who didn't want to be in the movie. Totally understandable. He sure. didn't have a say in it. I just, we just shut up. And like, I shot around that guy for the last 12 years. Is that right? He's not. Yeah, oh yeah. He's not in one frame of the movie. Wow. And, and it's just, um, and I totally respect that. I actually appreciate that he said that. So I knew ahead of time, you know? Yeah. Um, so, you know, the remaining guys, I think you, you know, a, a, a few million people have seen them and gotten to know them over the years. But, uh, it's uh, you know, that's that was kind of the start. And then we put the promotional thing online with a donate now, button. ended up funding the whole movie with just donations wow. from people giving us five dollars, ten dollars. I mean, thousands of people. Did you think to... that was possible? No, at the time. And it may still be the case. I'm not sure. It's, it was the largest film ever funded entirely with uh, donations. Wow. Um, Got it. And then. And then General Motors came in. Once they saw what we were doing, they gave us a bigger chunk of money. Yeah. MSA, who a lot of your audience is probably really familiar sure. with. Absolutely. Um, became a really important partner. And just, I mean, every we would just sort of ended up filming for 14 months, uh, often off and on. I mean, sometimes for stretches as long as like 60 days. And we were just like raising the money as we went. All right, we got more money. Let's go shoot again. And um, <laughs> which, love, which, love which by the way, is an insane way to make a movie, but it was the only way to do it because but, we also. But does that, that adds to it though, right? Because like it becomes, I mean, a just an incredible passion project for you, I have to assume. And and if it hinges upon the funding and, and you don't have that immediate upfront funding, which makes things a little bit easier, that means you're grinding and working. And, and I have to think that that probably fuels you to put out the best possible product you can. Not that you wouldn't on the other end, but I have to think that projects like that are, are really big passion projects. Well, it was really, really personal. Yes, right? I right, mean, it's, right. you, you get to know those. I mean, there was a point where like I sold my house and lived off the money to keep wow. like making the movie. And like, I'm not a wealthy, I'm not a wealthy guy. My, I just got rid of my car that I bought at a junkyard. <laughs> like, <laughs> For sixteen hundred bucks, I like get I'm it. not, I don't, I'm not I a trust fund kid. Yeah. So, but th- that actually turned out to be part of like this like amazing series of things that turned out to kind of be lightning in a bottle because we, you know, all these people are donating and paying for this movie. We would post little clips from each shoot and like introduce them to characters and things, and it was really amazing because you would post certain clips eh, you get a hundred people would see it and nobody really cared and then you'd post like something with dave parnell who's one of the stars of the film and it would have like five hundred thousand views and you so we got to realize we got to start focusing the movie as we were filming based on what people were responding to if that makes sense right 100 percent. because in the first film i mean it's a fire department. This is a real documentary. It's not like a reality show where it's scripted. We didn't know who was going to get like that amazing call or who was going to have something incredible happen to them over the ensuing years. So we started off filming, I want to say it's 14 different firefighters okay. and family members 
as if any of them could be the main characters. And ultimately the film focused on three main characters, two of those we didn't even know about when we started shooting. Um, Dave Parnell, who was like the first person we met at the firehouse became one of the main characters. And the other two were the fire commissioner, Don Austin, who didn't even show up on the scene until we were months into shooting. And Brendan uh, Doogie Maluski, who was a Detroit firefighter that got paralyzed, who we knew before we started shooting, but he wasn't one of the main guys we were filming. So we, uh, it was, I think we shot something like a thousand hours for wow. that first film yeah. to get, to get to 96 minutes. Um, and one of the reasons burn X sort of came into being was, wow, you know, we had filmed so many amazing people and had so many stories that just didn't have room for in the first film. Um, I mean, guys, we filmed for, a year <laughs> who could have had their own movie, but were, would be in like the first film for like a line or two. And then when we released the film and it, it just, it became huge in and outside of the fire service. We it played in 170 cities, won a bunch of awards was, became one of the like highest grossing documentaries of all time. But every screening people would sort of start to ask the same questions. Like, why are these fires happening? What happened to Parnell after that? Right. What are the what are the solutions? What um you know you spent time at Engine Fifty. What are the other firehouses like? What happens to firefighters after they retire? What's happening in Detroit now? So we so we just kept filming, thinking, oh, film for another year or two and follow up, and then here we are. You know, everything takes longer than you expect. Ten years later, and that actually turned out to be the right thing to do because. Detroit, I think, in the last 10 years has gone through more and certainly changed more than maybe any city in American history. Yeah. Um, well, largest gonna, municipal bankruptcy. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, that that a part of the, part of these films, it's it's the Detroit Fire Department and the, the people. But it's also a story about the city, the story about the, the people that the firefighters serve, the residents and the visitors to that city mm -hmm. and what that city has gone through and, and so on. Because as a firefighter, we all know that Detroit's a fire town, man. And and it always has been from, you know, their well-publicized Devil's Nights fires, you know, Mischief Night, Goosey Night, whatever you want to call it, the night before Halloween, where they would have hundreds of fires. I mean, and, and as a firefighter, like, I know guys go there to buff, if you will, and watch fires, right? Like, they go and to watch Detroit operate because it is so very different than the norm. And so for you to capture that story, a thousand hours for the first film to be broken down the 96 minutes, I think you said. And mm -hmm. what, where I wanted to go with that to come back around, but the, <laughs> when you were shooting, you had to be like, Oh man, that was what a great night. Like we caught some incredible footage, this and that. And then all of a sudden you go out the next day and you're like, wow, last night was incredible. Tonight was even, even more crazy. Right? Like I have to think that the amount of fire and activity that was happening just constantly was like film worthy. Right? I mean, it was just unbelievable content probably being provided to you just as a regular day for these guys. Absolutely. And the other thing I, you know, the other thing that um, re I realized pretty quickly was that, I mean, the fires, if you saw the first movie and you'll see again in the second movie, I mean, the fires are amazing in terms of the access we have. And there's a big yeah. sequence in the new film with a firefighter who's one of our main characters who's in the first film and the second film who gets trapped and almost dies. Wow. And at the same time, like the fires that are happening are kind of the context. It's the content is the people and the city. Yes. And the fact that we came to realize the fires are a symptom of other things yes. that are happening. Yeah. And that was one of the things we didn't have a chance to get into in the first film, but with the second movie really became, I think um, a powerful centerpiece. So, you know, Whereas I like to think of the first burn film as a war movie, like band of brothers or something where okay. we focus on this platoon of guys. We're in the foxhole with them. We get to know them and love them. And we see these bigger issues, but we just kind of glimpse them from their perspective. Whereas in the new film we had, that gave me a chance to 
go deeper. There's a lot of the same guys. Like we, we follow Dave Parnell for the last 10 years, Dave Miller, who is one of our main firefighters, who's still at engine 50. Here we are 10 years later and now is in a senior position and many other guys, some of whom, I mean, go through things that are bigger than anything you saw in the first burn film, which is saying a lot, but at the same time, we got to walk away from the firehouse and spend time with the people who live in that neighborhood. Right. Spend time with, spend a lot of time with the arson investigators talking about why these things are happening yes. and understand and understanding that spending more time with the uh, city government and the new fire commissioner who uh, just, just left actually. And the first new class of firefighters show up, you know, eight years into this, nine years into this and, What's it like for them? Because they're very different guys. They fight fires very differently than the old old school guys. And then, you know, the city goes through the largest municipal bankruptcy in American history. Right. Things get even worse and then slowly but surely start to get better. And then at the same time, the opioid crisis blew up. And places like Engine 50 over the last 10 years have started to uh, burn out. I mean, there's not there's not very many structures left to burn. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so these guys finally start doing medical calls and that's a whole thing that none of them expected. And you know, you can go to 10 structure fires a night, but that's a lot different than 10 people with heart attacks or who have COVID or who, you know, are ODing and have to get Narcan. Yeah, the, the jobs evolving there. It's changing, right? The, the yeah. community's changing. Socioeconomical conditions are changing. Healthcare is changing. I mean, and that's the thing. And, and I, that's what I want to ask you, right? As an outsider who has become an insider, if you will, what were your expectations coming into it? I mean, did you think that you had a, an understanding of what these, who these guys were, and what the job was about, and then what did you come away with after that first film, and then coming into the second film? Was your point of view or ideas or concepts totally different between the first and second film because you immersed yourself so heavily into the community? Um, I think that I think there's a really great through line, and the films have the same voice. I mean, yeah, you know, you you can't you can't like hang out with people for 14 months and not become really close sure, of weddings and funerals and mm -hmm. birthdays and uh, court dates and all, all sorts of things um, with people that you see in the first film. I think to me, it's the first film. Maybe I look at as like the first story of the house. And then the second film gets to build on that and expand and get a little higher up and look around more and, and go a little deeper. And um I think the one of the things I'm really proud of with with both movies is that I think people walk away from it feeling like we care about these guys. It's a really honest look at the job. And certainly in the second film, we take a look at some of the tougher realities of the job. Yeah. Um, I mean, none of these are like a fan film or, you know, like a YouTube video or or a promotional piece. I mean, it shows you that the job is hard. Yep. But also I think shows you that for the right person, it's the best job in the world. And it's a job without which things wouldn't function in our world. And, uh, you know, the one of the other things that was really cool with the new film is that it got to include like five hours of extras because again, there were all these people that, oh my God, I can't believe I made two movies and there's people I've been filming for 10 years that aren't in either one. So yeah. we got to have tons of extras. and. I think really we're just kind of like getting two or three movies in one on the new one. And I think it's um, a really great way for people to get a very broad understanding of the department and of the city that, I mean, you just don't see like, is a journalist going to be able to spend 13 years on one subject? Not really. Um, and, it, and TV shows are generally shot really quickly. So I think it's a really unique look at a, a really important subject and i think as we've seen in the last three years detroit went from being an anomaly to there being a lot of cities like detroit i live in la right now yeah We're dealing with i mean homelessness and arson and all of these things are skyrocketing and i think there's a lot that many municipalities can learn not from just what's gone wrong with Detroit, but a lot of the wins that we focus on in the second film, which is 
it's a lot of positivity. I mean, there's a lot of great changes that happened in the department and with the city over the last 10 years too. No, that I think we can all learn from. Yeah. And, and to be able to document that, right? Because that's the real story. The real story. I mean, the fires is a small part of what truly goes on day in and day out and the characters that are there in the department and the trials and tribulations of, you know, managing a city from, you know, from, and, and everything ebbs and flows, right? You have your highs and lows. It's just like the fire ground. Well, the city's going through the same thing. And, and you're right. I think there's a lot of, a lot of activity in a lot of cities these days that are starting to represent more of the, uh, you know, where firefighters, need to become more immersed and involved in the community than they've ever been before because the amount of work is starting to pile up and the different types and more diversified type of services that we now provide. And I believe that was part of Detroit too, is diversifying the services that they offer to their citizens. Yeah, I think, I think Detroit was the last major city to begin doing medical calls. And rightfully so. I mean, I've been out on, <laughs> at this point, probably, 400 structure fires with those guys. I mean, they didn't have time to do medical calls. Yeah. And I think a lot of the things you hear commissioner Austin talk about in the first film that everybody pushed back on a lot of those things ultimately ended up happening because, you know, because of the opioid crisis, because of COVID and, and all of these things. Um, but then at the same time, I guess I would argue that with the medical, with the medical calls that are going on now, these guys are far more taxed than they ever were yes. with just fires. And as I think a lot of your listeners know, um, 10 years of medical calls can take a much greater emotional toll on someone than 10 years of structure fires. Um, you know, we talk, there's a moment in the new film where we talk with one of the new guys at engine 50 and he talks about how he went on six. Uh, he did see, he did six CPRs before lunch. Oh my God. And that's, that's an incredibly difficult thing. And then just watch them go through one of the biggest hotspots in the country for the COVID epidemic. And we right. were there for that mm-hmm. is, you know, is a whole other thing, whether, whether, however you feel about COVID, they definitely were going to calls and definitely had people dying left and right in front of them. They had people on their department die. They had whole firehouses go down with COVID. And it's a, it's a really interesting time, I think for that department, because as they figured out one set of challenges we saw in the first film in the new film, you see, they now get faced with a whole new set of challenges that may be even bigger. Yeah. Let me let me ask you this. I mean, you know what what you're talking about and and how this job takes its toll on the firefighters. How about I mean, and you're documenting that and and you're seeing it happen uh, in front of your own eyes and 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 behind the lens. Right. What about you and your people? I mean, you guys immersed yourselves into this community and you're witnessing the same type of effects that's happening on on society decay of society, some of the worst, but you're seeing incredible moments too, obviously the very big highs, but there's a ton of lows. And were you and your people, the photographers, the the people that are supporting your operation, were they prepared for what they saw? You know what? In 10 years of doing interviews about the burn films, nobody's ever asked me that. <laughs> That's a great question. Um, Uh, I don't think anybody can be prepared for that. I don't think you can go get out of the fire Academy and not be prepared for that. But were there, were there conversations though? Did you guys really have an understanding of what you were walking into? Um, Not initially. And there was a really interesting thing that happens making these movies where, you know, you can imagine you're filming something for 10 years. There's some people that have literally been on every shoot this whole time for 13 years. Um, and have gone from being like like Joel Knoop, who was our sound guy, is one of the directors of photography now, because <laughs> he's probably the world expert in shooting fires from all these movies. Amazing. But um, yeah, a thing would happen where you would bring in new crew members, and that bell goes off, and you know by the end of that first call if they're cut out for it or not. And there's a lot of people who went on one call and then had to either we had to ask to leave, or they were like, "This is not for me." Yeah, because it just wasn't some, for them. Yeah, yeah, it's. There's some pretty intense stuff, and sure, it's dangerous. Have you? But, yeah, but I'm looking but at the it, emotional toll too. I mean, I have to think that there were times where you and/or the crew had to take a moment to compose yourselves as well. Oh, absolutely. It's 
these guys see a lot of death now. Yes. And even in the first film, I mean, one of the scenes people I think always remember is a three-year-old girl who dies because the engine shows up and there's no water. Right. And the firefighters carried a casket at the funeral and the crew was there and they were really shaken up from that. It was very intense. And the Dave Parnell, who's really the heart of both films, you know, we got to know his wife and she died during the second film and they lived down the street from engine 50. And those guys from the engine house were there like trying to revive her. And, you know, went, went to the, went to his funeral with the crew and, or her funeral in the new film. There's some stuff that I don't want to give away, but that's just as serious with people we really, really cared about and continue to care about. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot. Um, I went to journalism school and the first thing they teach you is don't get emotionally attached to your subjects. It's impossible. And yeah, I, that I, I, the first day filming, you throw that out the window. <laughs> like what? Yeah. Um, right. Okay. Yeah. So there's, you know, I'm, these are people, I mean, above and beyond them way more importantly to me than people, than being people we're making a movie about they are people we're all friends with. Yes. That we really care about. And it's hard to just watch them run into a burning building under the best of circumstances or, you know, go vent a roof when you see the thing is fully engulfed, let alone when they lose somebody or they get hurt. And these guys get hurt a lot. Um, The new film's dedicated to two Detroit firefighters who were very special to me. And these are two guys that died. One of them died. We don't, get into it too much in the film but one of them is a guy we've been filming since 2009 and he uh she didn't die on the job but he got uh, a guy shot him in a road rage incident and oh it that hurts you know yeah, for it's, sure. but i think you got to kind of take that and you know try to like craft something when i make a movie for 13 years about people i didn't like yeah no. right so right you got to kind of take that and figure out how to turn it into something that honors these people. Have, yeah, for positive. sure. Yeah. And, and so have you, have you had conversations like now that you, you've become super friendly and they've become some of your best friends, I'm sure. And, and life, your life and their lives intermingle in so many different points now, whether it's behind the camera or in the firehouse or weddings or whatever else, right? Like you have really become a part of this fire of, of the Detroit fire department, if you will, what are the conversations like from the guys that saw you walk in the door from the first day to the end of the first movie and then for you guys to come back and do that second movie? Were there guys that I, I have to think there were a few people that probably weren't interested, still aren't interested, right? Like you like you alluded to before. But what yeah. what has been the conversation with the people that you've been close to in regards to like, has it helped their job? Has it bettered their job? Has it, are they are they grateful for the ability to probably have the most premier way, the, the, the best film out there to show what the job is truly about? Like what's that interaction with the guys and where is it today versus the day you walked in? Oh, wow. Great question. Um, you know, with the first film, I think it was about, Hey, we want people to just, no one knows anything that goes on inside this firehouse and in terms of the day to day. So it was really, it was that conversation I think you can have like at any bar or party or whatever, when you meet somebody for the first time where it's, Hey, let me tell you about something that you know nothing about. And with the first film, I think it was ultimately something really positive in that we were able to donate almost $300,000 of much needed gear to the Detroit fire department with proceeds from the movie it helped change laws, not just in Detroit, but around the country relating to first responders and was really positive. But then at the same time, you know what that first devil's night was like at engine 50 after the movie came out, there was like a <laughs> sea of RVs and oh people like gosh. tailgating, like, Oh my God, engine 50, where's Dave Parnell? We want to go out. We want to, it was crazy. Oh um, my, I, you know, I didn't even put any thought to that that part of it. Yeah. I mean, engine 50 went, you know, I mean, short of, I think some of the FDNY firehouses is probably the most famous firehouse in the country. And there's still to this day, I mean, there's fire buffs out outside that, uh, 
engine house almost every night because they saw the movie or now there's a lot of guys on the department who saw the first burn film and were like, that's where I'm going. That's yeah, what I want to do. Sure. And, sure. But I think as the original guys we filmed have gotten older, I think there's something really interesting that happens where they've gone from focusing on like a personal level to just like putting out this fire, putting out this fire. They start to have a more nuanced look at the job and the future of the job, as I think happens to anybody when they get older. And there's been a huge generational change in that. I mean, you saw in the first film, those are guys that are fighting fires like it's 1950. They're just, they're venting with axes. They may occasionally have a saw. Yeah. Aggressive interior attack. And the young guys, there's a big, not even in a negative way, but there's like a big gap. The young guys are all on their, and as you see it in the movie, they're all on their iPhones. They all know how to fix the computers. They, they're going to wear their, uh, uh scbs right yeah whereas you don't see a lot of guys with those on in the first film so i think the conversation has become positive i think in that the department has gone from this is just how things are why do we do it that way because that's how we've always done it how does does that sound familiar i think anybody in the fire service knows that that's it man i mean that's that's how we sum up everything right why do we do do it that way because we've always done it that way to like thanks to this new generation of guys who ask questions about everything to the point where you you'll see in the new movie that the older guys can get pretty irritated just, oh, just yeah. go do it that it's caused the older guys to ask questions too and i think you know detroit firefighters are notorious for you know they have mandatory retirement at 60 there's guys who don't even live to cash their first check their first uh pension check yeah. and now the younger guys are like, wait a minute, I want to have longevity. I don't want to get lung cancer. I don't want to have a heart attack. I want to do things a little smarter, maybe, is the word they use. I don't know if I agree with that. But it's. I think the department is starting to evolve in order to survive. And I think ultimately that evolution is going to be something really positive. And in a world where... I think a lot of first responder jobs are becoming less of a career and more of a stepping stone for people. My hope is that Detroit's an example of how that can still be an incredible and fulfilling career, lifetime career for people. And not something you do for five or six years before you move on to something else. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love what you're saying because what, what I'm envisioning, right. And I wrote down the word evolve, right. On my notepad here. And, and what I'm, what I'm feeling from this conversation is that the, the two films, the second film has really evolved, right? Like the, the whole process, the people, the department, the city, you as a person, right? I mean, I'm sure you've changed in, dramatically in, in a lot of, you know, being exposed to a lot of this has probably changed some views and opinions that you've had in life and, and, and things like that. Because I know how impactful it can be to take somebody that is an outsider and expose them to really and and to become one of one of these guys or girls that are on that front line every day. It changes you. Absolutely. I think for me it's the most life-changing thing I ever did and it's in a way I got I, I feel like I sort of cheated because I got to experience all this without doing the job that all of these brave people do, but it's something that I wish I mean, I wish everybody who's a legislator, yes. small, uh, large or small, yeah. could go do a shift with their fire service. And something that was really cool with the first film was that uh, we would typically play two nights in each city. And the first night would be all fire service oh, and their families. And we did two nights because so guys on each shift could come and see it. Got it. And the second night, you'd see a lot of people like they would bring their mayor or their city council people. And those are the people who were most surprised by the story because those are the people that make the laws and vote on things and allocate money. They don't have any idea what first responders really do. Um, And 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 that's from the biggest metropolitan city down to the smallest, smallest community in this country. Legislators have no idea what emergency services is about. Absolutely. So I think in the same way that the first film helped open the eyes of a lot of civilians and a lot of lawmakers. I think the second film 
is also going to help open their eyes to some of the bigger issues and like some that. of the yeah. current challenges and the future of the department and, and a pathway for success because as you know, as I think we've all seen having, having a tax base and having functional city services, isn't a given anymore. Yeah. There are, there are places that fail and Detroit was a place that came really, really close to that. I mean, to show up at fires and not have water pressure. Yeah. That's a, a failure. And I think that, uh, I'm doing a new documentary about paramedics around the country and I, nice. Boy, I see that all the time with them now is they're operating at a 40% uh, labor shortage. That's an amount of trauma you used to see in 30 years that now you see in 10 years. There's, there can be wait times. There's huge turnover and 911 abuse and all these things. And I think I'm glad I'm working on that project next because, you know, a lot of those are fire-based EMS providers and and you can see that as a nation, as the opioid crisis continues to grow and as our population gets older and we're relying more and more on this sort of like safety net of that it happens when you call 911, I think all of these first responders from, you know, not just firefighters, but anybody who shows up with lights and sirens, they're getting asked to do more and more with less and less. Yes. And I think that's incredibely dangerous. Yeah. I, I was going to, I was going to ask, I'm glad the conversation went this way because I was going to ask you, there's, there's two very, and that's exciting by the way, the, the paramedic documentary. I think that that is another area in the emergency services that needs a much brighter spotlight shine on it. The, the EMS culture in this country needs to be changed. Uh, there needs to be a lot more positivity and resources put back into EMS and providing critical care to our civilians. And, and so I'm excited to see what comes of that project, Tom, that that's exciting um, for sure. Yeah. But I, I wanted to ask you, we were talking about legislators. We we're talking about civilians. There's two very different crowds that come to, to watch these films that pre-order yeah. these films that watch them at home on the original burn. They did, you did a bunch of theater launches, right. And it was shown around the country. You have firefighters who are there to really watch and see how you capture their every day. Meaning, They live it, right? I live it, right? We all live it at different levels. Volunteer, career, it doesn't matter. It's the fire service. And we're there to see a film that truly depicts what it's like and what it's about, right? And and then you have the civilians, the people that have no idea, but they rely on these services daily. I'm curious the difference between, I'm sure you've talked to many, many people over the years, like on the civilian side, friends that saw it, like what was some of the feedback from people that have never been, uh, you know, influenced by this society of firefighters, this this fire service, just people that dial 911 and think that the service is going to show up and give them everything they need. Your friends, people you know, what was their reaction? Oh, I mean, I've talked to thousands of those people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Screenings, and, right, from Florida to Alaska. Yeah. Um, and... People are almost to a person shocked. Yes. Everybody thinks that these things are a no brainer and being taken care of and that they have adequate money. And that when you dial 911, of course somebody's going to show up and they're going to show up quickly and properly outfitted and properly trained. And when they discover that that's not the case, it's a real eye opener to people. I mean, my hope with the first film was and I hope with the second film is that you know you guys know what you do if you're in the fire service but for a civilian or a legislator hopefully they see that movie and they pull over a little sooner when they see those lights in the rearview mirror yeah and hopefully they vote a little differently i think we live in a society right now where people are really focused on themselves rather than their community and i think the fire service is one of the last remaining things we have that is completely community-based. I mean, all they, you call them when you have a problem and they come to fix it often in very difficult circumstances. And I think people need to understand, you know, in a world where you have people who are libertarians or where they, well, how does that affect me? Why should I vote for schools? I don't have kids. Why should I vote for villages for the fire department? I don't think my house is going to burn down. I mean, people need to understand they're part of a larger whole. And without these things, 
it really does affect everybody. So I hope it does change how people view their communities on a larger level. Well, I have to say that I think that these films, uh, the first one I've seen, I have not seen Burn Act yet, and I'm excited to see it. I've seen the trailer, uh, talking with you today. I know for a fact that these two films are making an impact on the American Fire Service and shining a light on the everyday uh, trials, tribulations, tasks, success, failures that happen on the line every single day. Burn X and Burn are two films that certainly do it right. Tom, thank you so much for sharing some of your story today with me. I'm, I'm absolutely honored to get National Fire Radio involved in helping promote the film. Uh, I look forward to December 6th, which is the release. Pre-orders are now happening, right? So how can, just give me a little background. How can people find this film? How can they support Starting, it and so on? So uh, December 6th, the movie comes out on DVD, Blu-ray. You can get those at burnstore.com. You can pre-order the film digitally on Apple TV. And then starting December 6th, it'll also be available on Amazon, Hulu, Vudu, and Google Play. And, you know, it's just me. Like, I'm talking to you right now. If you get an order in the mail, I, 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 I packed it. If, awesome. if you hear about the movie, that's me posting on social media. So, you know, if this is a story that's important to your listeners, I would just ask them to please help us yes. share it. That's how we got the word out about the first film. You can go to DetroitFireFilm.org to read about all the films. You can go to burnstore.com to pre-order and uh, have a lot of other fun stuff that we're almost giving away t-shirts and posters and things because I just want to help spread the word and um, get the, get the new movie out there in a way that hopefully causes change like the first one did. I love it. Well, keep the hustle up. And I, I will say that it matters what you've done, dedicating the last 13 years to putting these films together. Um, it matters and you're making an impact and as a firefighter, I can honestly say that it has certainly, the first movie has certainly left an incredible impression with me, and I'm looking forward to the second one. So, Tom, thank you so much. Tom Putnam, the co-producer and director of Burn and Burn X. Tom, thank you for joining me today, pal. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, stay right here. I'll get back to you in one second. just want to sign off and, uh, and thank our listeners. So, everyone, thanks for tuning in for another episode of National Fire Radio. Burn X, the documentary 10 years later, being released December 6th, 2022 now on pre-order for dvd and blu-ray you can go right to detroitfirefilm.org and find where you can order the film it's also being released digitally so please support the mission support the film tom's an incredible director who has fallen in love with the fire service and he's making a difference with these films so please let them know where you heard about it share with uh, your friends and talk about it at the firehouse because when we talk about the job we're always making the job better Tom Putnam, Burn and Burn X, DetroitFireFill.org. Thanks for tuning in. Guys, thank you for being here, and we'll catch you at the next one. Jeremy, National Fire Radio.